0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy and banter. Hello, Gabe Dowrick. Every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question, which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic Twin Movies that are both live-action adaptation of Runyard Kipling's book, The Jungle Book. It's The Jungle Book vs. Mowgli legend of the jungle. Let the jungle games begin. So let's uh, kick up this episode with an overview of these twin movies and a flashback to our first encounter with them. On the 15th of April 2016, The Jungle Book was released. Here's the IMDb synopsis. After a threat from the tiger Shere Khan forces him to flee the jungle, a man-cub named Mowgli Embarks on a journey of self-discovery with the help of Panther Bagheera, which I've totally mangled, I suspect, and free-spirited Bear Balu. So, Gabe, did you originally catch the Jungle Book when it was released at the cinema back in 2016?
1: And what was that experience like? I didn't. It was no experience of any sort. I watched this movie about three hours ago, so it's very so it's, so it's very fresh. That's great. Zero personal connection. No anecdote. No, you know, nothing there. Yep. Okay.
0: Oh, this is going to be a short podcast episode. <laughs> right? How, how long
1: ago did you watch it?
0: Three days. Right, there you go. Okay, cool, cool. So, this conversation, I think, is going to be a jibe at this whole process of remaking classic films, looking at Disney here, into live action animations. Sorry. Live action films, whether they count as animation or not, is to be discussed. Photorealistic films, we'll call them. That's the buzz term that Disney's been using. But I've got to say, I've got a couple of young kids and when this came out of the cinema, I still wasn't motivated to go and see it. I just, yeah, I couldn't bring myself to do it.
1: Did they want to see it?
0: No, not really. I mean, they just weren't interested because it's photorealistic And I guess from their point of view, there wasn't enough escapism to it. And I think as well, just by being photorealistic, it looks a bit dark. So maybe we should just jump to almost a review of these films and discuss exactly that, like the execution of it. But I guess maybe we should also then just first of all turn to Mowgli because these films were due to be released at the same time, but it was much later on the 7th of December 2018 when Mowgli was released. Here's the IMDb synopsis: A human child raised by wolves must face off against a menacing tiger named Shere Khan, as well as his own origins. So, Gabe, same question: Walk me through when and how you first watched Mowgli.
1: I watched this probably two days ago. It was <laughs> it was a rainy evening, and I don't know. Like again, same thing. There is no, I have no sweet anecdote or personal connection to this film. Nothing steeped in memory and reminisce of any value.
0: Okay, well, we're two peas in the same pod because I'm the same. In fact, I was even less excited about this film because I felt that The Thunder had been stolen by The Jungle Book, which I hadn't even seen anyway. And when I heard that it was going straight to Netflix, and that's how I saw it, I then lost a lot of faith because we'll get into this, but in some ways, for better or worse, going straight to Netflix when you've been made by a studio is kind of the new version of DTV, Director TV. And that terminology was often a slur, like straight to video. It wasn't a good thing that if someone had spent over $100 million on a film and it was released on a streaming service, that's not always looked upon favourably. So I myself saw it again on Netflix at home and watched it with the kids as well. And I've got to say, the first thing they said is, really, Dad? We just saw this film. Ha. And they weren't excited to see it at all because – they recognised straight away that it was the same story, just told with a slightly different perspective. So, they weren't jazzed. Having said that, they actually did enjoy it, which surprised me. But, you know, the kids,
1: they're not that discerning. <laughs> and- Are you- did you just call your own children stupid? <laughs> like- no, I said they weren't that discerning. I don't know. It sounds like you bit. <laughs> There's a big jump between not discerning and stupid. Look, it's fine. Children have terrible tastes. They don't know anything. It's- we can't assume you have a pair of geniuses out there you know maybe you do i don't know but <laughs> anyway well okay so before we go on yeah so before we embark on
0: down the um trip to psychotherapy with my children oh. soprano style let's perhaps do a quick little history lesson as to how we ended up with these twin movies in the first place with a bit of a shallow dive into the hollywood history so these are recent films and so i think most people will be aware as to how we got here but The short version is this: essentially, let's start with the Jungle Book. That was the first film released. That makes more more sense. So, the Jungle Book was is actually a remake, as I mentioned before, of a book. But when it was remade into this photorealistic version, led by producer director Jon Favreau, it's both based on the 1967 animated version of the same story and the original source material by Kipling that I mentioned. So, the idea he had in mind was to try and create a story that basically was contained a few of the dark elements of the book with the lighter elements and a couple of cheerful songs from the movie. And it was developed back in 2013. Have you heard who was going to be behind this film?
1: No, who? Before Favreau?
0: Um, yeah. Who? As it turns out, no one. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, there weren't many woulda, shoulda, couldas in the situation here. It was mainly Favreau. The script was by Justin Marks, who I think is the same Justin Marks from Iron Man, the first Iron Man in 2008. And this sort of became one of those first films that led the pathway to Disney's live action adaptations of their work. It was actually Disney's third live action adaptation of Kipling's work following the 94 film and the 98 director video film, Mowgli's Story. And then the fourth, if you include the 67 animated film. But really quickly, John Favreau was confirmed as director back in November 2013. He'd always loved the 67 animated film. And so he thought, yep, let's try and bring that to life. I've done a lot of CGI films and I'd be really inspired to do that. And so he tried to do that and took, would you believe, cinematic inspirations from the child-mentor relationship in the 1953 film Shane, the establishment of rules and dangerous world from Goodfellas. What the fuck? Yep, and the use of a shadowy jungle figure in
1: Apocalypse Now. (laughs) Okay, what, because Christopher Walken's big orangutan is Colonel Kurtz-like? Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess so. Right, stroke-off motion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, by the way, Ben, um, Justin Marks, who wrote this, didn't, I believe, work on Iron Man. He wrote Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. No way. Really? Yeah, which is a pretty, really bizarre movie. That's it's worth checking out. But I think he also recently wrote, or he has a credit on the Top Gun Maverick script. Although, I don't know if that's been ah, WGA. Right. Okay. And he created the show Counterpoint, Counterpart.
0: Oh, so he's a much more recent screenwriter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess he's- Later work's pretty credible, like Counterpart, for example, is a fantastic yeah, totally. TV series. totally. And I'm uh, sure he going to get
1: killer story about Street Fighter, the legend of Chun-Li. Again, worth watching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm there's some, sure there's some, does.
1: some bold decisions in there.
0: So is that actually about Street Fighter, the computer game? Yeah, is yeah. Is that another totally. adaptation? Totally, totally. So it's a sequel?
1: No, it's not a sequel. It's its own thing in many ways.
0: So you're telling me that they had on tap Mr. Van Damme himself and Kylie Minogue and co, and they could have made a sequel years after the fact – He's after the 1994 film, was it? Sure.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: And they threw away that opportunity.
1: They tossed it away in favor of Chris Pine. Not Chris Pine. The Chris from American Pie. Chris Pie. His name's Chris Pie. <laughs> Whatever Chris his name Chris Pie. Chris Pie. Chris, Chris Klein. Chris uh, Klein. I prefer Chris Pie now. <laughs> so, Chris Pie makes some really big, weird choices in this movie. Anyway, look, it's a shame that there's not a movie called, like, that we could have done a twin Chris movie Fire. with Street Fighter. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Look, we're here talking about these dang stinking jungle movies. So. Uh,
0: hang on, hang on. I must, I've got to say, to get you excited for the future, we actually have a twin movies episode coming up, which does involve Street Fighter. It's Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, great. Perfect,
1: right? Yeah, it's sweet.
0: So, give your powder dry. Yeah. You're going to yeah. circle back Sorry. in a few oh. weeks to that. Great, great, great. <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Sounds good. All right. Anyway, Justin Marks wrote the Jungle Book came with fads they made this movie made a billion dollars but Mowgli had a much messier
0: production and that probably explains where it ended up so this film that kicked off in around april 2012 when warner brothers announced they were going to develop a film with steve Kloves in talks to write direct and produce so we're about a year before the disney version and then in December twenty thirteen, now a year and a half later, again around the same time as Favreau comes on for the Disney version. Cloves is now just producing the film. But have a guess who was in talks to direct. I'll give you a clue. A incredibly talented Mexican director. Is it Gil Elmo Other one. Kid Go again. It's like three. Think Alfonso of the
1: Alfonso No? The next one. Ah, oh, who's the third member of that Triumphant? Uh, uh, I'll give me a clue. The guy who made Ale- Bird- Ale- Birdman, bro. Uh, That's it. What? Oh, yes, Enrico. Well- yeah. So okay. he was in
0: talks to direct, right? But then he left due to scheduling conflicts with Birdman and The Revenant. But then in February 2014, and by this stage Favreau is probably doing prep for his film on the Disney lot. So in Feb 2014, Ron Howard is in talks to direct and produced with his regular producer, Brian Grazer, through their production
1: company, Imagine. Honestly, though, if you told me Ron Howard directed either of these movies and I didn't know, I'd believe you. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, possibly. Sure, I know. it looks like Ron Howard probably did that. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. yeah. It's got Ron Howard's fingerprints all over it. Sure. <laughs> and in the next month, it was announced that Andy Circus would direct. So, clearly, there was a short window there where Ron Howard was circling it for a short time and then bailed. Then Andy Circus comes on, who I think had only written and produced one film before then, and that was it.
1: But, I mean, he'd done a whole bunch of second unit directing on, like, the Hobbit movies and- Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then what happened was they made the film, and then it turns out that, obviously, it was a race to get to the cinema, and then this film was delayed by almost two years and eventually was released onto Netflix. And Deadline Hollywood described the film as an overbaked and overbudget production And said that it allowed Warner Brothers to, quote, avoid pan-like bomb office headlines. And so, thus saved the millions of dollars in marketing fees by flicking it onto Netflix. Just as one of those, uh, what was that, J.J. Abrams film said in space.
1: Oh, Cloverfield Space. Same sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Like, they just sort of moved it on and let Netflix take advantage of, I guess- pre-existing awareness and the capacity to try and benefit with it as some sort of traditional library VOD package.
1: It's interesting, you know, when Sundance happens and stuff, there's always these like stories in the trades about how much so-and-so film had been bought for, you know, uh, Fox Searchlight acquires some twee indie movie for $20 million. It's a shame that there's no information online about how much Netflix paid for Mowgli. Because I'd be kind of interested to know, you know, with a budget of $90 million, did Netflix pay, did they buy it for like $60 million or do they buy it for like $10 bucks?
0: Yeah, I totally
1: agree. I like, can't find uh, that info, so. Ugh.
0: No, I agree. And this is this, the mystery of, I guess, Netflix, that you actually don't know what they pay. And because there's no box office metrics to compare to, nor are there any kind of ratings- in terms of viewership to compare to. So, it's all a mystery. I mean, sometimes
1: they say, oh, you know, murder mystery, this new Adam Sandler movie, has been watched 50 million times by people or something. But it's sort of all meaningless, really, isn't it? Like, what does that mean? You know, I watched that like four times. Three out of four was just on in the background where I'd fallen asleep and it just played or something.
0: I think there's also a metric where they count it as a full view if it's played for a certain period of time. And on the top of my head, I can't quite think of what that <laughs> like, period of time is. Like
1: Facebook, if you scroll past a video and it plays for two seconds, it's a view or something. Netflix has got like really low, low standards for counting views. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's like,
0: oh, it's like half an hour. Or I, th- I thought it was a decent chunk of time to count as a view. And I suppose that's almost like the equivalent of being in a cinema and then just sticking with it. So I can't recall. For our next episode, we'll try and find out exactly what that metric is. But what accounts as a full
1: view? All right, so. How about we jump into a review of these two movies? What do you say? Sounds good. Are we going to review them separately or just kind of combine the reviews? Because honestly, um, if you told me Ben Kingsley was the voice in one, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one. (laughs) Yeah, I totally hear. These two movies are together. Even
0: though this podcast subscribes to doing separate reviews for each film, these films are so similar in so many ways or you could argue are so unmemorable that – It's so hard to decipher one film from the other. So, I can decipher the visual style, but the storylines are very similar. So, let's do a combined review, shall we? Okay. Sounds good. Done. All right. So, let's jump into a review of both these flicks in that case. So, Gabe, The Jungle Book and Mowgli, did you like them? What worked for you about these films and what didn't float your boat?
1: I didn't particularly like either of the movies. I will say I liked one- More than the other. I thought Mowgli was better than The Jungle Book.
0: Oh, we've got a podcast on our hands.
1: (laughs) Because I myself feel the opposite. So you go first. Oh, okay. Well, I thought the boy in Mowgli was probably the best thing about it. I thought he was very good. Rohan Chand. I'm not surprised that I liked the live action element of it the most. But I thought his performance was really strong for a little kid. Presumably having to act up against either people wearing stupid-ass headsets or however they film this with mocap or tennis balls or whatever the fuck. I don't know. But I thought he was really good. And I liked the photography or the style of Mowgli more. I thought Jungle Book, the whole thing just felt very cookie-cutter or very basic or I don't know. I just, except for the big chimpanzee, not chimpanzee, what do you call them? Big orange orangutan. Except for Christopher Walker's orangutan. I basically didn't like anything in the jungle book.
0: Okay. So Mowgli's taking the prize already out of the gate. So did you like Baloo the Bear played by Andy Circus in Mowgli more than the bear in the jungle book?
1: Oh, no, that's that's true. I liked Bill Murray's bear much more. The, the bear in Mogley sucked. In fact, I mean, this is sort of the problem. I didn't like enough of anything in either film really to go to bat for either. I mean, they both felt really kind of anemic and dull, and I found myself drifting off and thinking about, oh, I don't know, just anything but these movies or just sort of staring at the edges to try and discern the mystical technology which made them good. But to be honest, if you told me, like, asked me who were voices in these movies, I basically wouldn't be able to tell you. I can't remember Benedict Cumber Snatch or whatever. He was a voice, wasn't he, in one of them? He was the – but which one? I don't know. Exactly. I'm
0: the same. I can't decipher one from the other. And, look, I think one of the reasons why that is is because in having photorealistic characters, photorealistic animals, you can't really associate a personality to them. Now, I know that we all, with our own pets, might associate personalities to them, even though they might look the same as any other dog or cat in that same breed. But that's because we know the animal for like years at a time. Whereas when watching these animals on screen, in looking photorealistic, they're less animated, which I use in the kind of literal sense, in the sense animated in terms of their faces aren't as dynamic. So therefore, They don't look as personable, which means I can't kind of decipher one bear from the other or one tiger from the other because they're kind of the same. Whereas if you watch, say, The Lion King, and I should add, by the way, the reason why we're doing this podcast episode is almost because it's acknowledging this whole wave of Disney live-action photorealistic adaptations of previous live-action films and of previous animations – and we're trying to reconcile that with these two films, which were part of the early way to kick things off. And you look at that, like in that film with the cartoon animated Lion King, where Scar, the sniveling, anemic, differently shaded colored lion, played with the voice of um, it's Jeremy Irons, I think, isn't it?
1: It is indeed yeah. Jeremy Irons.
0: Looks much more distinctive to the heroic lion Simba's dad, Mufasa. But in when you watch these types of animals in a photorealistic adaptation, they kind of look the same, right? It's harder to kind of like oh, totally. personalise goodies and baddies. Like what's the totally. good version and of if- a snake or the bad version of a snake?
1: I watched oh, – it must have been – like it was a Vanity Fair or GQ YouTube thingy majigami with Andy Circus, and he was talking about this challenge like – Oh, we're trying to make them photorealistic animals. The problem is that they don't have as much personality because, like, a panther, whatever that big black cat is, is that a panther? It's a panther. I think it's what a panther. It? Their faces don't move the same way human faces move, so they can't really actually properly smile or frown or do any of that sort of stuff. So he did say he he sort of designed the animals a little bit to be not actually photorealistic, like he took some artistic liberties with the shapes of their faces so that they could express more... But then, for me, it gets caught in this weird halfway's realm. Like, I always think of this bit where Sheree Khan, or whatever his name is, Sheree Khan, Sheree, at one point in Mowgli, he's, like, angry, and he kind of lifts his paw, and he points at a thing, and it just looks stupid. Like, it looks weird. Like, when they were just animated, and the artists could be quite expressive, and there was no sense of needing to be photorealistic, man, the characters just had so much more character. Like, Baloo the Goofy Bear in the 1967 one, man, that's a, that's a character with some, like, you know, he, he memorable. Whereas just a bear walking around, he's just a bear. I don't know. It's I find it very weird. It doesn't engage me whatsoever.
0: In the words of Pulp Fiction, like, some animals have more personality.
1: <laughs> sure,
0: sure. Is it Samuel L. Sure, Jackson I- or who's talking about not eating pork? Because pigs have- Sam Jackson. Yeah, because pigs have personality? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So- That's interesting to hear that Andy Serkis said that because the animation style between these two films is very distinct from my point of view. So Jungle Book is much more photorealistic, and the animals look pretty much as they would appear if you encounter them in real life. In the Andy Serkis adaptation, Mowgli, they are more characterised, but I agree. It's like this uncanny valley. They're, they're almost alien-like because they're naturalistic enough to be believable as three-dimensional characters most of the time, not all of the time. But their faces are slightly adapted and changed and the colour correction is so extreme that it almost looks like they're filming some sort of animal hybrid on a green screen. It's very odd. Like yeah, I found it out of the gate from the first minute to be quite distracting and I couldn't work out if it was meant to be photorealistic or a realistic looking animation,
1: I think the goal these days is all of this stuff is always to try and make them in verticals photorealistic. And I think you mentioned earlier, like Disney have been describing the new Lion King as live action when it's clearly not. No, no, no sorry. It's
0: just- no, no mistake. They were initially calling it live action,
1: then animated I think they're still calling
0: they're still calling No, live action. I think what happened was when they did um I think they locked into Photorealistic as soon as like only three weeks before they released the Liking. That's how late because people were just struggling as to what to describe it. And then what happened was who's the head of Disney? Is that Iger? No. Who's the current head? Alan Horn? No. Anyway, the current head of Disney in one of Robert Iger? Iger, yeah. So Bob Iger said he Eventually latched onto the term photorealistic, and that way you can't be criticised either way because you're not just making another animated version of the story, and you're not saying it's live action because it was created, you know, it was created in a computer. So photorealistic is the term they sort of settled on. But the fact that they had to wrestle with that description for basically three years prior to releasing the Lion King, and they hadn't quite settled on that description when they released the Jungle Book. Pretty much describes the problem of this film to me, is that what is it and then what are the rules of that world and how naturalistic should that world
1: feel? But that's a really good point because the more naturalistic and realistic you make it, the more ludicrous it seems that there's, you know, big gangs of roving different animal types all forming weird alliances you know at one point ben kingsley even refers to all the animals at the whatever they call the waterhole he refers to them as people right and it's like what the fuck mate they're not people (laughs) They're, they're animals they're photorealistic animals like it's just when they were animated and it's much easier to suspend disbelief in the animated version and what's weird about this though is that i think about that movie babe the little talking pig movie i didn't have this problem with that so why do i have this problem with this is it because it's animated? Yeah, I agree. I was thinking exactly the
0: same thing. I was listening to the Slash Film podcast, this great podcast that reviews films each week, and they were discussing The Lion King that recently was released and inspired us to do this Twin Movies episode. And Dave Chen, one of the hosts, made the comment that he thought, essentially, had we just seen, say, a David Attenborough and documentary, where maybe they just sort of had the voice over the top, which they occasionally do do in some of those documentaries, it would actually be as engaging, if not more engaging, than the actual Lion King, the movie. And I sort of feel the same way about this movie, in that I could have seen like a documentary featuring all these animals with voiceover narration, not lip-synced, obviously, but to try and get personality to those stories and found that more engaging and authentic, than this $200 million CGI, I'd say almost monstrosity in relation to Mowgli because (laughs) it is in Uncanny Valley. But I agree. I'm thinking out loud right now, why did I not find Babe an issue just as you didn't find it problematic? Is it because we're cynical about these being adaptations? And is that the reason why? Is it because maybe it's just the fact that they don't look as naturalistic? It's that whole Uncanny Valley. I mean, obviously- The Jungle Book looks a lot better than Mowgli and looks much more naturalistic. But with Babe, for example, the only CG are the mouths. Everything else, you know, it's real pigs and real mice. Oh, there's puppets.
1: Actually, the mice aren't real, are they? They're not real. No, and there's, you know, there's like some pretty obvious puppet ducks and stuff like that, I think, from memory. But still, nonetheless, at least those are kind of tangible, real... Things. I mean, maybe that's it. I don't know. It's funny just sort of trying to interrogate this as I think about it because, yeah, I mean, I didn't see Milo and Otis and be like, oh, I can't believe this shit. I was like, fine. I mean, apart from all the animal killings in that. Well, actually- I had no problem with Milo and Otis.
0: Maybe that's the problem. Maybe because these movies deal with predatory environments, The Lion King, Mowgli, The Jungle Book, that- it all falls apart because in those ecosystems, many of these animals would be eating each other, right? So it doesn't make sense that they're all hanging out and chatting. Whereas in Babe, it's a self-contained fairyland world. It's not striving for naturalism, ironically. It's sort of like got those golden green pastures and these animals aren't predators to each other. They're all farm animals living side by side. And if the world went to shit, the cows aren't going to eat the ducks, for example. The dogs might get involved, but everyone else is probably living pretty harmoniously. And so, maybe the rules of the world in Babe are such that it doesn't seem like we just buy into the fairy tale. even the way it's Maybe, yeah. Like, even the way it's lit and styled. I think the other detail is that the animals, like in Toy Story, talk when the humans aren't there or the humans can't hear the animals talking, which makes it more oh, okay. like, I guess, a secret world. Because when James Cromwell's hanging out, he's not talking to Babe. He just calls him pig and Babe doesn't talk to James Cromwell. Whereas in these films, Mowgli and The Jungle Book, the little kid is talking to the animals in English. And the animals are talking to each other and somehow living harmoniously together despite the fact that these lions or tigers would be eating Most of the cast.
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess more broadly, I have a real problem with this idea that everything, that it feels like audiences now are being trained to only want visual effects and effects that are photorealistic. You know, this is like this above all else. And sometimes it's done really well. The movies suck, but the, you know, the visual effect elements in the Transformers movies are pretty impressive. But I don't know. It just, all of these movies, you know, with this endlessly striving for photorealism, it just... Makes me miss – maybe this is just like I'm an old bastard hanging out on the porch like – But I miss movies with like practical effects that might have looked a bit shonky. But the movie kind of asked you to go along with it. Not necessarily use your own imagination but to sort of engage with it knowing that, yeah, it's not photorealistic or but it's tangible and it's imaginative. Do you know what I mean?
0: No, 100%. I mean, if you're going to do stories with talking animals – These are the types of protagonists that seem perfectly suited to more traditional 2D or 3D animation, like in the style of the original Lion King or the recent Toy Story films. Like, if you're going to have animals or creatures, like sentient toys or talking tigers, to me that is actually geared and designed for non-photorealistic animation. So from my point of view, like keep your powder dry. Like save the right stories and the right characters for the right genres. Totally. Like there's a reason why the Lion King, which is based on Hamlet, I think, isn't it? Is Oh Well, well vaguely, sure. vaguely. But there's a reason why they used that version of Hamlet with Lions is because if they want to do a live action version of Hamlet with humans, they would. Like do you see what I mean? Like I sort of feel like it's a bit of a pretzel or a snake eating itself. Like let some things live and be in their own genre. I know this great theory T- totally, in relation totally. to these Disney adaptations and the theory goes like this. The theory was, hey, first of all, we need to try and monetize our IP, our intellectual property and we've got all these great stories, we could remake them and so on. And one theory goes is that you look at these other films like Beauty and the Beast or Snow White or Alice in Wonderland, and you think, oh, wow, with the vision of someone that appreciates great costumes and production design like Tim Burton, let's, I guess, amplify and take advantage of that in doing a live action. Now, when you've got humans as protagonists, that makes more sense. And so you can have like really stunning – Almost Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory type, that sort of those bright colours and sets and whatever which suited. But again, they're human characters. But to apply it to animals and then ground
1: a fantasy in reality, it seems contradictory. Totally. They're really charmless. Like, it's really interesting because, like, you know, you think of – the Lion King, or the nineteen sixty—is it sixty-seven or sixty-eight? Jungle Book, whatever it is, yeah. they're really charming movie. You know, the characters are, are memorable and charming and funny. But these photorealistic characters—they're not memorable. They're certainly not charming. It's Just such a bizarre exercise in. Apart from Jungle Book making a billion dollars or whatever, why did you bother? <laughs> like, I just don't. I don't get it. The why did you bother question
0: is just straight out of that dialogue from Jurassic Park by. Is it Richard Hammond? No, no, Richard Attenborough. His character, which is, he's talking, doesn't Sam Neill say, or Laura Dern says, you were so busy wondering if you could, you didn't pause to stop and ask if you should. Something like that.
1: Well, I presume someone at uh, Disney stopped to ask if they should, and then they just pointed at like the space on the shelf where the billion dollars will go. <laughs> yeah, 100% right. Yeah, look, it's funny, isn't it?
0: I mean, I'm actually fascinated this from a business perspective too, because- If you don't keep developing new ideas, which is the artistic version of what they call in Silicon Valley with technology and software, research and development, R&D. So if you kind of keep turning back to the past and you remake old properties and never create anything new, never create the next Toy Story, for example, the next Incredibles or whatever, then you'll eventually reach a point where you run out of ideas And I've actually heard these ideas which really scare me is what they'll do next is they'll just now remake The Jungle Book and remake The Lion King and remake all of these current
1: live-action adaptations as cartoons again, which depresses Uh, the shit out of me. (laughs) Well, I guess there's probably something – you know, like video stores don't exist and Netflix has barely any kind of pre – particularly here in Australia, but barely any kind of like pre-2005 movies – I do know Disney is launching their new Disney Plus or whatever it's called, but, I mean, do you think a kid's flocking out there to watch cartoons made in 1967? Probably not. Well, this is the problem. Even though- Yeah, is that we
0: always think about things were better in our day. Music was better in our day. Films were better in our day. I think that Heat in 95 is one of the best films of all time and Den of Thieves with Gerard Butler.
1: Second best film of all time. <laughs> well, really?
0: Okay, sure. I was gonna say it can't- Hold a candle to heat. But, you know, or the town, for example. A poor man's version of heat. But maybe that's this is the way it is with all generations, including kids. Like, this will be their version of The Jungle Book. And there's no way they'd want to watch the 67 animated version in 4 by 3 ratio, you know, at a charming 65 minutes long or whatever it is. So, maybe this remake process is legit.
1: Totally. And, you know, this is the universe we've had- seven different people playing Spider-Man and 43 Spider-Man movies since 2005 or whatever the statistics are. I'm not really exactly sure, but there's been a lot of them.
0: Oh, can so I drive you people- on a Segway? Sure. Okay, jump in the back seat. I'm taking you a da- okay. da- trip down recent memory lane. So, All right. my uh, two young boys, they wanted to see Spider-Man. So, I had that discussion in my head, which is the same discussion people have in relation to Star Wars. Like, do you show them in chronological order that were released at the cinema or the chronological order of the stories.
1: And most purists- They're slightly different to Spider-Man, though. No. I mean, not to, to, to Star Wars, though, because Star Wars are telling a continuous story. Them Spider-Man's movies, do you even show them any Andrew Garfield ones? Yeah. <laughs> like- well, I, exactly, exactly. You're stepping on my bit. That's exactly right. So- oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> so, basically, I came down So you to the Tobey Maguire three films, then the two Andrew Garfield films, which, by the way- feel like some sort of weird fever dream that happened but didn't happen, like it's some sort of parallel universe. Like, they actually made two films with Andrew Garfield that made millions of dollars that featured Jamie Foxx as a character and Paul Giamatti for a brief moment at the end of one to tease potentially another film.
1: No, no, he's at the beginning of the second one.
0: Oh, okay, okay. And then- They just – those films just evaporated. Like, does anyone remember those films at all?
1: No. They're not even listed on IMDb anymore. They've been scrubbed from existence. (laughs) That's not true, obviously. And so then you've got
0: the most recent Spider-Man film, Far From Home, and the one before that, Homecoming. So I thought, okay, everyone has said that Homecoming is the best, most definitive version so far of Spider-Man in live-action form on screen because he looks like a kid – opposed to a 30-year-old with, you know, stubble. He acts like a 2019 teenager, but is in the spirit of the original comics, etc., etc., etc. The costume looks great. He's the right size, all of that. Anyway, we watched the first one, the 2002 Sam Raimi one with Toby Maguire. Kids loved it. Having said that, you kind of forget that Sam Raimi is an incredible stylist in relation to the way he must storyboard, shoot and edit. Because excuse me, I've never forgotten
1: that Sam Raimi
0: is an incredible stylist. I know you're a huge fan of Sam Raimi, so fuck yeah. The way that film was edited, like it is fantastic mise en scène. Like it makes current films the way they're edited. Maybe because the way that they're shot using digital or its laziness, lack of discipline. I don't know, but the efficiency of storytelling with the right shots. It's like one of those. Books you get from the library as to how to tell a story with the right combination of long shots, medium shots, tracking shots, etc. Incredibly well done. But also, I forgot actually how dark it is. There's quite a few scary kind of jump scares in that classic Sam Raimi style. And it was always weird that he was hired to make those films, but I guess that's sort of the trend of hiring indie directors to do big franchise films.
1: But that was also pre the sort of superhero. Huge superhero boom. Well, I think it had been started by X Men, first of all. Yeah, but it was still in its infancy.
0: It and X Men were the films that set the table for the whole Marvel universe. Like, they broke through for those Marvel films to happen, to be taken seriously. And
1: Blade. <laughs> oh, Blade and Blade 2 still remain the best superhero movies made thus far. I agree with you with number two. Blade
0: 2 is one of right, the best okay. superhero films of all time. Blade 1. Has some terrible CG and, I don't know, I think it's Stephen Norrington, the director.
1: What's interesting, actually, as we talk about these Spider-Man movies, though, is that Spider-Man, what was the recent animated one called?
0: Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. That was really cool. Best Spider-Man and, film ever. Yeah, it's really fantastic movie. Like, really imaginative, interestingly animated. Diverse characters. And you know what it is? Diverse characters. And it's animated and it is chock full of personality. Like, It's personality to the max, you know, like so much more so they really embraced everything they could do with the animation, much more so than a a shitty live action (laughs) Spider-Man, a photorealistic Spider-Man. But really, no, like as an animated film, it's really, really great. It's just that thing was like, why would these two, Jungle Book and Mowgli, did they decide to do sort of the antithesis, the diametric opposite of personality? by making them photorealistic. You know, in talking
0: out loud like this and doing this massive hard left segue into Spider-Man Town and then raising the issue of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I think you've nailed it totally. It's like animation is such a rich medium and allows you so many opportunities to express yourself and tell a story in a way you couldn't tell in live action. And that's the issue, isn't it? Like you've taken this... Fantasy story of talking animals, which I think really thrives in a animated form, and then kind of, I guess, very prosaically executed in a, a photorealistic fashion. That just takes away all the magic and wonder of it.
1: Totally. Is there more Disney animal movies they're going to remake? Is there more of these down the pipeline? Well,
0: like- on uh, Wikipedia, there was actually talk of doing a Jungle Book sequel. Now, obviously, Favreau got somewhat. Distracted by doing The Lion King. But, look, isn't the answer to will they do more based on how much they made? Jungle Book made, and I don't want to step on our box office figures, but it made almost a billion dollars. The Lion King's already made a billion dollars. Yes. If they do Bambi, there's maybe a billion bucks in Bambi. Well, Bambi's troublesome, though, because Bambi has always been controversially quite dark, like Mum's
1: shot dead. So Well... That, I should actually say, is the only other thing I quite liked about Mowgli, which is the little white wolf cub. I thought it was pretty, for what's ostensibly a kid's movie, it's got to be a massive turn-off for kids that the really cute little white wolf cub is killed, right? Yeah.
0: So, Circus bragged about how he wanted this to be a PG-13, which in Australia is an M rating, M classification film, and to be darker than the PG version that Disney made called The Jungle Book. Okay, sure, fine, whatever. He was trying to adhere to the source material. That's his argument. But to me, I thought it was totally all over the place. Like it wasn't consistently PG thirteen or M. No, it was like yeah, that's right. It just chopped and changed around. Like that that white cub who was, I guess, sort of like the freak character, right? My kids kind of you know thought it was kind of kind of cute because he was a charming outcast. But totally. it was dark in the way that he was treated and other characters as well, in terms of bullying and isolation and alienation yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But again, inconsistent. Like even the characterization, no, sorry, the animation style of Baloo. Baloo played by Andy Circus looks terrible. Like he looks like a I don't like. He looks like a bear with lots of cold sores all over his face. Like (laughs) he doesn't look appealing in any way. Whereas the Juggle Book version took the pot-bellied, good-natured version from the animation and crafted something kind of similar. Because bears are right; they do look organically kind of scary. And this is the whole deal with Pumbaa in The Lion King. Like some of these animals in real life aren't charming, aren't cute.
1: They're actually quite oh, terrifying. The, the poster of that warthog just put me off seeing the movie whatsoever. Yeah, there's an Australian film like, I don't want to there's an Australian
0: film called Razorback,
1: another one recently
0: in 2018 also called Boar. Both films about killer pigs, like killer wild pigs. And if you take that poster of Pumbaa from The Lion King, it resembles a horror film. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, totally, totally. And so
0: with the bears, thank you, Andy Circus, for giving it a go to try and- add more personality but if you're going to do that why would you make the bear look worse and more intimidating than the more photoreal- realistic bear in the jungle book it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah look if i had an eight-year-old kid i probably wouldn't show them mowgli and then so are like- you judging my parenting style are you <laughs> no no not at all look to be honest i don't even know what's appropriate for an eight-year-old kid i'd probably show them evil dead too but not mowgli but not evil dead one no, no, definitely not. That horticultural rape shit, that's no good for an eight-year-old. But, like, Andy Circus, you want to make a PG-13 Mowgli. Who out there is fanging for, like, a young adult version of the Jungle Book? I agree. Like, when artists or directors or writers talk about being authentic to the
0: source material, my response there is, yeah, if it's good. But adaptation, by definition, means you adapt something to the contemporary times You adapt it to the medium that you're shooting in. Like, take the best bits of it. Take the spirit of it. But if the Jungle Book has been associated with a certain way, why just swim upstream? Like, accept what it is and make the best version
1: of that. That's my take on it. It's a fair take. (laughs) All right. Any final comments? Look, I liked that there was like a small monkey character in the Jungle Book, like some sort of cheeky capuchin monkey. I thought that was pretty funny. And Gary Shandling did a voice. Yeah, one of that's, Gary that's Shandling's correct. last roles too. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of stuff I liked, <laughs> but that's basically it. All
0: right. It. Let, let's, let's speak through the rest of this. Let's jump through because okay. neither of us, okay. of all of these podcast episodes we've done so far, I think we're least enthused about these adaptations. So,
1: no, that's let's right. punch but it's interesting through at least to talk. It was interesting at least to talk about the photorealism and those sort of
0: And reconciling trends. why we might like Babe, but not these types of films because yeah. that's a question yeah. I still ask myself, like – why doesn't it work? Because the reason why it doesn't work for us and for many audiences isn't as a, always as easy as what we think at first glance.
1: Oh, and one last thing is they really didn't do a good job in the Jungle Book of the songs.
0: Well, apparently John Favreau, when he was trying to take the elements from Kipling's books and then, of course, the animated 60s version, he thought that by having too many songs – it would pull you out of the naturalism of the film. so (laughs) Yeah, right. But that's what's charming about the animation, right? The songs.
1: Yeah, yeah. But also, like, a talking bear won't pull me out of the animation, but if that dang bear sings, (laughs) fuck, it's over. Like... (laughs) So true. I can only go so far with these talking animals. Like, really? Yeah. Sing the damn song. By the
0: way, too, I would love to try and make... Actually, you know what? I'll save this for our pitch for a sequel... And I'll tell you how we make the low-budget ver- low version of these films. So let's say that for the end. So which film has aged better,
1: Mowgli or The Jungle Book? I mean, it's only been a few years. Surely before the next cycle of these films being remade, people are going to remember The Jungle Book and Mowgli is going to disappear into the algorithmic whirlpool of Netflix, never to be seen again unless you scroll all the way into its stinking depths. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Plot holes or missed opportunities.
0: What could the filmmakers have done better with the high concept of adapting this source material?
1: Well, surely was that they could have made it animated.
0: I agree. I agree. Did you see on YouTube that someone's done a deep fake where they've taken the face of the characters, I think, from the Lion King from the animated version and applied those faces to the live action – oh, sorry, the photorealistic – Lion King trailer?
1: Yeah, I've seen some of that. It looks much better. It looks a hundred times better.
0: The faces totally, are more expressive totally. and it basically looks like just a different, more realistic animation style. But the eyes are more animated, the mouth's more animated. It looks so much better. Like I would love to see that version of the Lion King instead.
1: You have to imagine as well, I'm sure at some point they would have done all these sort of character tests. They must have at some point gone, we could make them look... This realistic or moving the little animation slider in the opposite direction, much less realistic, and they went, nah, let's go with realistic. But it's so funny to see these ones, like you say, the deep fakes or the the sort of where people have just photoshopped the characters. Or, you know, how all these people sort of did re-photoshops of Sonic or whatever. Just punters out there can make these things look much, much better.
0: It's pretty amazing that punters out there on their home computers – with, like, only days can create better-looking versions of these characters of Sonic or Mufasa or Simba from The Lion King than they have done spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the first place and a lot of time. Yeah. It, it's incredible. Sure.
1: I mean, obviously- sure. Although it's not like you can- You can't render out your whole uh, at-home Lion King movie. No, uh, no, no. Movie, 8K DCP, but, yeah, you're right. They've, they've
0: like- done the heavy lifting, know. obviously, but the fact is, is that- People can experiment at home and nail something better than these guys have had with all the money and the time
1: in the world. Exactly. And it's really nailing it at that very early sort of conceptual design level. How did rooms and rooms of people and executives and artists all stare at this shit and be like, yeah, I guess we're doing the right thing?
0: Well, in terms of that slide you mentioned, I actually would argue that the easiest thing that The Jungle Book did was say, you know what, let's just be photorealistic. Because in that case- there is no slider. You just push to the very end and make it look real. I think Andy Circus had a bigger issue because he decided to pull the slider back towards animated and landed in, like, Nowheresville. Yeah, totally. So, he, what he should have done is he should have lent into photorealism more or come 50% back to something halfway in between. Look, at least he didn't land in Cats Territory. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah, okay. Well, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to say something that I actually think that we shouldn't criticise the trailer for Cats because maybe it's because we're so used to seeing the same Marvel movies and stuff, something. Maybe, like, it's us. Maybe we're, like, too accustomed to not experience and accept anything unusual looking anymore. So we just write it off straight away rather than going, you know what, that's pretty courageous and it actually might work. Now- that's me being glass half full, but there is a possibility that maybe we're conditioned to not be open-minded to more radical ideas.
1: No, Ben. It does look terrible. <laughs> terrible. My mind is open. I watch anything and everything, any old piece of crap or highfalutin uh, art film, always looking for something new and fresh. Those cats things were neither new nor fresh. They were some sort of hellspawn satans.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's move on to trivia then before we begin the awards. Okay. Spot the Aussie. Was there an Aussie in either of these films? I don't think so. Was there? I don't think so. No? No Aussie? No. Okay. Now, big trouble in little production. I think I mentioned that already. Just a sense that they both came out at the same time and they had to delay one after the other. I will say something in relation to production for both these films. Did you realise that I think it was in The Jungle Book. They actually hired Jim Henderson's company. To walk- Jim Henson? Sorry, Jim Jim Henson to walk around in kind of like the similar body shape. So if you're playing a baboon, you might have like, say, sticks on the end of your hands so that your posture was changed as you were crawling around. To try and create some sort of crude character that's painted blue or green to disappear, to walk around the little kid and then to replace that actor with the uh, CG character. But I think what they did in Mowgli, and this is no surprise given Andy Circus's fascination with motion capture or performance capture, is that they actually had people who were in the full headset rig and stuff, and then they tried to incorporate their wrinkles and eyelines and so on into the characters. So, slightly different way of producing either film. Did it help? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's jump to yeah. the box office. Which movie do you think was the box office champ? <laughs>
1: Gee, I don't the one know. The the cinema? Be- yeah, I guess we'll never know. All right, for
0: just for the sake of details, The Jungle Book was made for $175 million. It made $364 million domestically and another $602.5 million internationally for a grand total of $966.5 million. Side point. When you're that close to a billion
1: dollars, you re-release that bad boy. You squeeze it out. Like I'm surprised Disney didn't just buy thirty-four million dollars worth of tickets totally, themselves, totally, just to crest that sweet Billy. Do the same thing that Marvel slash Disney
0: did with Endgame, the last Marvel film, and basically add a few minutes, re-release it, and in doing so, they actually overtook Avatar as the highest-grossing film. Side note, without inflation. Hey. Like, do something like that because a billion dollars, right, that's the new $100 million. So just make an effort. Anyway, in sad reflection, Mowgli, I could not find any budget figures anywhere and it was released on Netflix and sold to Netflix and we'll never know. But I'm thinking –
1: I thought I read somewhere that it um, had $150 million budget.
0: I was going to guess that. That would make a lot of sense because most of these films with this type of CG – are sitting around 150 to 200, aren't they? Because
1: it- No, Variety said it was 180 million. There you
0: go. Okay. Well, every shot's an effect shot, like in the whole movie, so that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess the uh, box office champ there is clearly The Jungle Book. All right. Did the first film help or hinder the box office of the second film? I would say in this case, definitely hinder, yeah. Hinder, for sure. Yeah. All right. Rotten Tomatoes. Which movie impressed the critics? Have a guess.
1: The Jungle Book over Mowgli, right? You got
0: it. Jungle Book on the tomato meter for critics was 94%. Mowgli was 52%. Ouch. And the critics gave, sorry, the fans gave the Jungle Book 86%. And the fans gave Mowgli 53%. percent ba ba. So, Jungle Book takes it again. All right, let's go through the awards. and I've got a feeling, Gay, this is going to be a very, very short session because okay. we're not enthused enough to speak too much. So, let's give it a go for what we have. All right, are you ready? Right. Are you pumped?
1: Hit me. Yeah, let's are do you it. Are excited? A lot of these won't even make sense. Do you need to do any <laughs>
0: sit-ups or push-ups in preparation?
1: I've been doing them this whole time. So,
0: you're already jacked. Okay.
1: I'm so jacked up over Jungle Book. Ugh. All
0: right, let's loop that chest and get going. So, best title. The Jungle Book versus Mowgli. (laughs) Jungle Book. Yeah. Maybe the smart play here was using the same title, already made famous by the previous film, and the previous book, so
1: maybe there was rights issues. We'll never know. No, it
0: wasn't. That's the whole point. These are like, um, I think these are copyright free. But Mowgli, obviously coming second, couldn't quite use the same title for obvious
1: reasons. So they chose the name of the. Key. Maybe they should have just called it Jungle Book Two. What it was like, Two Jungle Two Book. No, no, but like Jungle Book T O O, like <laughs> no, Jungle Book Two with with the exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah, like don't forget us. We're the Jungle Book Two. Just off. I love it. Anyway, I love it. Moving on. All right, best Great.
0: poster. Again, not really a podcast-friendly award, but I'm giving it to The Jungle Book. Basically, it shows a kid in a
1: jungle. Oh, great. You know what you're buying. Weirdly,
0: a Mowgli has a kid standing on a clifftop. Makes no sense. Terrible.
1: What do you mean? There's cliffs in jungles? What do you think? It should be called The Cliff Book?
0: (laughs) Pretty much. Exactly. Yeah.
1: should be called Cliff Notes.
0: Next award. The Before They Were Famous Award or the Blink We Miss Them Award. (laughs)
1: See, we we'll gonna skip all past these. doesn't apply because they're all animals. I'm curious who voiced the – is not an anteater? The pangolin or something? Like which film? In the Jungle Book. is an anteater who's pals with the bear.
0: Ah, okay. I'm not sure what he's called. He's an anteater. Yeah. Okay.
1: Or oh, no, pangolin, anyway. I'd be curious to know that. Hey, if you're out there listening, write in and tell me.
0: Yeah, the problem is that on IMDb, they're all listed by character name, not by animal, which makes it even more confusing.
1: All right. I don't know who King Louis... Was. Oh, yes, I do.
0: All right, the Tommy Lee Jones show still a reward, named after the iconic performance by Tommy Lee Jones in a supporting role in The Fugitive. Oh, no. Who stole the show? Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken? He was actually pretty yeah, good He always steals King King the show. Yeah. So, Christopher Walken playing King Louis in The Jungle Book. All right. Yeah, why not? Moving on. The Dustin Diamond Award.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, this won't make any sense, but...
0: Yeah. Sure. Nate honored the actor who did kick on with a big career after finding fame in the 1980s TV series Saved by the Bell. So, who didn't make the most of their opportunities?
1: The kid. Yeah, I guess, maybe. Kid,
0: Neil Sethi.
1: Has either him or um, Rowan Chand gone on to be in more stuff? Nope. Neil Sethi starred
0: in one episode of a TV show called The Last OG. So, in the last three years, he's done one episode of a TV show. That's it.
1: He's probably in school or something. Yeah, He'll but still, that doesn't
0: stop like, you know, your little Macaulay Culkins and so what.
1: Probably has responsible parents. <laughs>
0: yeah, still, be ambitious, right?
1: All right. Well, we both agree that these two children have torpedoed their own careers. And Rohan
0: Chan hasn't been in anything since either. So, yeah. So, they both win for not kicking on with their careers. Terrible. Yeah. Okay. The winner-winner Chicken Dinner Award, who came out on top in each of these movies – I would say the kids because so the adults are already famous.
1: We've given the kids the award for <laughs> not making the most of their careers, but also an award for coming out on top. Isn't the answer here, John Favreau? Yeah. He probably got paid a bucket load.
0: John Favreau, basically, I think, is a whole new career as the photorealistic architect for Disney for all future uh, adaptations.
1: He's such a good filmmaker. It still be a real shame if he just makes these sorts of well, movies. It's like Michael Bay making all these Transformers movies. It's like, make it fucking more movies like The Rock. C-
0: this is the tragedy, right, is that Jon Favreau made the film Chef. And if you watch Chef, great little indie film about a guy that is a yeah, chef and he basically sort of suffers burnout. And the whole film is an analogy very clearly for Hollywood where essentially he's a chef in a restaurant. He's making great food, he thinks, but he's pressured to make the same food over and over again, which is basically an absolute metaphor for his path making Iron Man 1 and 2. So he makes his film Chef. It's obviously therapy, indie filmmaking, for nothing budget, calls in favours from all his mates. And then I thought, oh, great, he might then now do something more innovative. And now he's basically doing just the other arm of Disney, which is live-action remakes. He's left Disney and Marvel behind, and now he's doing this, which I think is so disappointing because I think he actually has so much talent as a director and can do or contribute so much more than this.
1: 100%. I guess he's off doing that Star Wars TV series as well. Oh,
0: So he's basically now ticked oh. all the boxes, hasn't he? He's ticked off Marvel, Disney live adaptations, and – Star Wars.
1: Maybe he's not directing the Mandalorian. Well, he's he's
0: like the brains trust behind it. So if he hasn't directed right. an episode, he's like the setup producer slash creator.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Anyway. Great. Sure.
0: Okay. All right. So John Favreau came out on top for better or worse. All right. The best dialogue award. What's favourite quote? Uh I can't recall any. Moving on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Just that Bear Necessities song. Look
0: we'll at the best song oh, to- Ga-
1: Gary Shandling is the prickly pear. What is he? he? He's the voice of the prickly- What's the prickly animal called? Porcupine? Yeah, like that. I don't remember what he said, but I remember being like, ha. Gary. There's a classic Gaz. Classic Shandling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Am- the Nicolas Cage, Chewing the Scene Reward. <laughs> I reckon both actors who played the snake, they're like really kind of like amping up, hamming up the-
1: Ah, uh, Cape Blanchett was Awful as the snake. Yeah,
0: but so was Scalia Hansen.
1: Ah, both of them. Just terrible. Yeah. Also, Kate Blanchett did that voice she does where she's trying to act like. Sultry? No, not sultry. Like smart. Like all knowing. So she deepens her voice. and. Oh, yeah. That's her uh, Lord-, Lord of the Rings voice. Oh, just awful. All right. They both lose. Okay. The Taking a Paycheck Award, which speaks for itself. Jon Favreau? All of them. Surely Everyone. this is like a great gig for, well, probably more so on The Jungle Book, where I don't think they did all that mocap shit, right? No. Like, so Bill Murray probably just went into a room for three days, recorded his stuff. Three days, three hours. Yeah, whatever. You know, maybe he did three takes. You know, the guy that played Mufasa, what's his name? James Earl Jones. Yeah.
0: He apparently recorded all of his lines for Star Wars in like one hour, back in the day. So, that iconic performance- Good for him. Yeah, but the point being is that you can capture an iconic performance in- hours if not minutes
1: right fair enough so all those suckers on mowgli who had to dance around pretending to be snakes with like mocap cameras stuck to their face really got the short end of the stick didn't they they sure did all right and for what you're not like wow those are truly magical performances well it's even worse the jungle book because they were there
0: to help the kid react to something but they weren't even like performance capture
1: artists they were just there as essentially like storyboards for the kids. They should release a cut of Mowgli which strips all the animation. Oh, it's like release and the a just Christian cut. Bale, Christian Bale pretending to be yeah. yeah. Release the Jim Henson you know, cut. He release the Jim I'm Henson cut. I'm a bear. I'm a big scary bear. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be like a Lars Von Trier version. No, it's, of
0: it's worse game. than that. Is that they weren't even doing the voices on set. They actually had just animators or puppeteers dressed up who were just talking in their normal. Californian accents. Christian Bale no, for, wasn't there.
1: For Mowgli, wouldn't they have done that anti-circus performance capture
0: shit? Uh, yeah, maybe for Mowgli they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was actually would have been Christian Bale's Bale in performance capture. To be confirmed. Well, All right.
1: I feel like we should have found this information out before we started recording. <laughs> actually, we
0: should have. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, well. The Stephen Tobolowsky Award for, hey, it's that guy from Groundhog Day. So, I guess for this one, it's more like, hey- I recognise that guy or gal's voice. So, which person jumps out? When you heard their voice, you thought, oh, that must be so-and-so. Sam
1: Raimi is the giant squirrel in The Jungle Book? Really? What? Wow. Yeah.
0: Oh, for me, it was uh, Bill Murray. His voice is so recognisable, though. Oh no, Christopher Walken, actually.
1: Yeah. You know what's weird? Just while we're on Bill Murray as the voice of the bear, if someone had asked me who was the voice of the bear in the original animated one, I would have said John Goodman. But that clearly can't have been the case. It was made in 1967, and John Goodman- Would have been like 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, I just recall, it is like John Goodman was born in 1952, so he would have been 17 years old. But for some reason, I just associate- You know why? John Goodman with, I don't know, he's a big fat guy. Yeah, be, <laughs> like- if you look at
0: him in Roseanne, with those big, with those yeah, big jeans, and you look at that bear, right? I can imagine- a small child floating down a river on John Goodman's stomach.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, that was very weird in the live action one when we did that. It
0: was weird. I think it's going to eat him. Like, you know that whole story about the – is it the frog and the scorpion?
1: Oh, yeah, that overused fucking metaphor. Yeah, sure. yeah. Moving on. Yeah, it's actually
0: now the small boy and the bear. Right, exactly. There we go. They got a whole new metaphor out of it. All right, right. moving on. The Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. Again, being these photorealistic animations, which of the voice actors do you think aren't used enough?
1: As voice actors or just Any at all. Oh, man, like Giancarlo Esposito should be in way more shit. Boom! Great minds think alike. I thought the same thing.
0: Fans might know him as the baddie from Breaking Bad who ran that chicken shop. Gus. Yeah, I agree. He wins straight away. Done. Moving on. The Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the absurdly named character by Nick Cage from Gone in 60 Seconds, which character steals the cake for the most ludicrous name? I don't know. I don't They're know. all probably goofy in
1: danger of being like, yeah, but like…
0: Culturally inappropriate. Probably,
1: yeah, that's right. King like Louis To say, ooh, Sherry Khan is a stupid name. It's like, actually, that's probably some sort of… So, so, yeah, I guess we've just got to default to… I can't believe it that there's a giant orangutan called Louie. <laughs> exactly. All right. It was like a hard pass, that one. Jumping to
0: the Memento Award. Name for moments you completely forgot about until you re these movies. Well, guess what? We're never rewatched because we never watched, watched, watched.
1: And if anything, I've completely forgotten the moments from these movies anyway, or they've just amalgamated into one single movie. <laughs> That's right.
0: The Die Hard Award, named after the influence of Die Hard and inspiring a subgenre of films like Under Siege, so, if Imitation is the ultimate form of flattery, did either of these movies leave a legacy? Well, unfortunately, I'd say yes, right?
1: Yeah, the photorealistic animated legacy. Yep, agreed. Ugh. All right.
0: I reckon it's time that we have some fun with a sequel. What do you say? Okay. So, let's pretend we're Hollywood moguls and we're forced to make a sequel
1: Well, Hollywood Mowgli's.
0: (laughs) Mowgli's. You mean Mowgli's from like, hang on, am I I thinking of Fraggles or Gremlins? No, you said
1: Mowgli's and I said Mowgli's Ah. because, you know, because we're talking about the movie. It doesn't matter.
0: Oh, clever, like Mowgli the movie. It's very clever. (sighs) Yeah, you're a very clever guy. All right. So, if you and I are Hollywood moguls slash (laughs) Mowgli's, hilarious, how would we make a sequel to either one of these films? How would you make a sequel to either The Jungle Book or Mowgli. If you've lost the race the first time around, if you made Mowgli and you're beaten to the punch by Disney with The Jungle Book or vice versa, you want to double down and you're Disney, how do you make a sequel to either of these films?
1: Well, at the end of one of them, which one are we making a sequel to, I guess, is the first question.
0: Okay, well, I'm kind of thinking that the studio behind Mowgli is probably not going to... Pursue
1: this. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so Disney is making a Jungle Book 2. Right.
0: Now, first of all, is it Jungle Book 2 with a numeral 2 or the Jungle Book 2 T-double-O exclamation mark?
1: It's the numeral 2. I guess the question is they are actually making a Jungle Book 2 and I'm sure they're going to go a very boring route. I'm sure they're going to set it still within the jungle. What I'm going to pitch to you, Ben, is what if it's not set in the jungle? What if they have to take the jungle to the city or something? Oh. To the land of men's. The urban jungle book. (laughs) The urban jungle book, yeah. So, you know, Baloo. Also, can these animals actually talk?
0: All right, okay. So, let's set up the perimeters here. Okay, so, first of all, you said they might move to the city. Now you're saying, are they still talking? Well, I think they have to, right? Well, if they can talk, can Baloo get a job? All right. Like, can he work as, like, an accountant?
1: Yeah, totally. Can he work, you know- can he get a nine-to-five? Can he have a wife? <laughs> like, <laughs> can he have affairs? Like, not a human wife. That would be weird. That would be weird if the talking bear worked as an accountant and had a human wife. We don't want weird. But are we assuming that Mowgli speaks to them, like you say, he speaks to them in English, or is he actually speaking to them in the language of the jungle? The film is just translating it for us.
0: Well, even if he was speaking in the language of the jungle, so to speak, Wouldn't that also just be confusing that if you're walking down the street on the way to see a movie in town and you saw a small child in a small pair of underpants talking to a bear, even if they were speaking in, let's call it, the language of the jungle, it would still be disarming. Even if that bear was wearing a tie and a shirt and held a calculator as a practicing accountant, you would still be thrown. So... I think it's fair to say, right. yeah, we probably have to – let's rein this in a bit. What if we said this? Oh, the other version is it could be like a secret bear or secret animals. Or it could be like, say, either they're hidden like in um, that movie um, Gremlins, right? Like, right. Or they're animals that everyone else sees like soft toys or something like that, like plush toys. They're like sentient toys that he talks to, but he sees them as like – scaly, furry animals, but it all sees them as, like, plush toys.
1: Right. But that seems like you would be sort of having to finish the first movie and pan all the way out from the jungle to reveal it's just a Lego set or whatever. Oh. That seems very high concept. Like the Lego movie. I guess. Have they made a Lego movie? Huh. (laughs) So what about then if we don't want to take the animals to the big smoke because it would be fairly rightfully bizarre to see a bear – wearing a tie with a calculator and a, hu- and a human wife. What about if the humans' deforestation and so on threatened the land of the jungle, threatened the jungle, really, and our gang of animals had to team up to stop the humans? Like Avatar. And they, Like Avatar. But they had to turn to an unlikely ally, someone you never would expect to come back. That's right, Shere Khan.
0: Ah, I see. So the villain becomes the hero. This is a chance.
1: Fast and Furious did it. This
0: is called The Jungle Book, colon, Redemption.
1: That's right. So Idris Elba as Khan is given an opportunity to redeem himself and we'll all forget the fact that he killed Giancarlo Esposito's wolf character, Akila. Oh, so it's like hashtag justice for Akila. Just like there was no justice for- Yeah, that's right. But we don't really care because gosh darn, Idris Elba is just so charming. He is. Anyway- so what about that? What about if Baloo and Sher Khan have to form an unlikely alliance, race against time to stop the deforestation, and Mowgli is now, let's age him up. What if he's 14? What if he's 16? What if he falls in love with the daughter of the logging magnate? So you got Romeo and Juliet in there too.
0: Oh, this is like taking all the boxes. Okay, so that's the first act. What's the second act?
1: Hey, on this...
0: What year is The Jungle Book set in? Not defined, is it? So, it could be a bit like that film by M. Night Shyamalan, The Village, right? That
1: we uh, oh, think yeah, it's okay. set
0: like decades ago, but as we hear the bulldozers move in and the trees start falling down, we realise, actually, it's a untouched part of the jungle, perhaps in South America, and we're actually in 2019, and now with the noise and the smell of fumes and so on, the future or actually the present is encroaching on this preserved historic past.
1: Right, right. So, we'll save these animals waking up in a jungle that turns out to be terraformed Mars for the third movie, where it's just completely jumped the shot. Yeah,
0: that's the Matrix version.
1: Okay. So, we're saying it's modern set. It's set in 2019. Yep. It's now. Yep. The animals are banding together to stop the deforestation and logging. And Mowgli – is Mowgli a – he's a man now? He he's a-, a
0: man. Does he teach the animals to, like, weapon up? Do they basically <laughs> do start, mean? like, building, like, an archery team? And what are those huge things that throw, like, coconuts and
1: stuff? Like the Ewoks. Coconut catapult. Exactly. Exactly. Do they basically Ewok it up? But you're a bloody bear. You don't need to throw a coconut. You could just tear someone's head off.
0: Yeah, but if you are fight against bulldozers, I've watched uh, That's true. Return the Jedi, which is a very convincing, naturalistic portrayal of mammals against humans. And I would argue that with the clever usage of rocks and hang gliders and ropes around the wheels of bulldozers, possibly Baloo and the team, let's call him... General Baloo, all right? <laughs> sure. Think of that guy with the fish face from Star Wars. What's his name? Akbar, Akbar right? This is the Akba of, of Jungle Book, right? Sure. And with his, with his little hologram plan, they're going to take down this fleet of bulldozers with a ticking clock. What's the ticking clock? That they, they've got like a window of a day or two to try and decimate the jungle. And if they don't do it in time- they'll lose their licence to mine.
1: Yeah, their lease runs out in not but one day, so they have to do all the bulldozing they can.
0: So do we get to the end of the second act then and Mowgli, who's now quite manly with an impressive six-pack and like the low-cut kind of – the low-cut board shorts, stands in front of the bulldozer with his new girlfriend on one side and Baloo on the other, arms raised together as like a sort of last act of defiance? I guess so. And then the dad, who's chomping a cigar driving behind (laughs) a bulldozer, slams on the brakes and says, I'm not going to buckle.
1: And his daughter says, Daddy, nor will I. What's the third act? I have one question about this before we get to the third act. Is there any value into a Peter Pan-esque version where Mowgli has to return to the jungle having, like in Hook, having- Become used to the urban jungle and forgotten what it is like. He can no longer talk to the animals, and he rediscovers that childlike sense of wonder. Isn't that basically Tarzan? Oh yeah, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Who wrote Tarzan? Wasn't the same guy. Kipling? No, I don't. Oh, think gee, so. He just ripped himself off, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, he. Everyone owes him a little bit of money. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We won't go we'll cross out the Saccharine Hook version and instead stick with the. Battle for the we'll stick with the avatar version basically.
0: Maybe what happens in the third act when the bulldozer stops is that all the animals stand up onto two legs oh, and say, man. four legs bad, two feet good.
1: <laughs> That's great. Okay. So they all all the animals stand up on four legs. And then no, on two what, legs. We're going full two legs. We're going full animal farm and then they actually start to take on the the traits of the Humans? Is this like the
0: oppressors? They jump in. They hold the uh, bulldozer drivers by knife point and force them out, jump into the bulldozers, turn them around 180 degrees and start bulldozing down the city to (laughs) let the jungle overtake it. And it becomes the urban jungle book and they reclaim the concrete landscape.
1: In all seriousness, don't you need in the unlikely alliance of Baloo and Sher Khan – Shere Khan has come back. He's had all of his fur burnt off, so now he's just kind of like a panther. Wait, is he a panther? No, he's a tiger. tiger. But he looks more like a he looks more like a testicle <laughs> because all his fur's burnt off. So he's just a really angry nutsack. He surely has to switch sides, and then maybe switch sides again, and then maybe switch, switch, switch. But like he surely he has to at some point cut a deal with the humans.
0: Oh, so it's a cross, double cross, triple cross. Yeah. So, in the end, who takes him down, Baloo or Mowgli?
1: Well, maybe he realises the error of his ways and resigns himself to returning to the fold, or maybe there's something that he does, in fact, actually care about. Like, you know, maybe it turns out he has a little tiger cub of his own at home that was never mentioned before, but now he's a character. Can I
0: suggest a bloodier version? A Man of Steel, with the neck breaking at the end. Essentially, Mowgli wrestles with him. It's the final third act. It's the last fight. And then Mowgli looks into the air and screams as he breaks the neck. And then, what you see, the next scene is Mowgli walking over the horizon and you see the ears, then the eyes, then the nose of Shikan coming over the hill. And you think, oh, Shikan won. And then you see Mowgli wearing, in the words of Steve Bashimi from Con Air, Wearing Sher Khan's head like a hat.
1: <laughs> Great. I'm there. Sort of reminds me of the people who wear them big bear outfits. Exactly. In, exactly. You know, yeah. that Coen Brothers movie and also that Jim Jarmusch. Uh, but
0: unfortunately,
1: only recently
0: skinned, so a bloodier job.
1: <laughs> so the movie ends with Mowgli wearing the skin of a... Tiger that had previously had all of its fur burnt off and resembles a testicle. (laughs) So now he essentially resembles emaciated
0: testicle as he stands before his girlfriend, Baloo the Bear, who's essentially the Chewbacca character here, and the rest of the jungle, raises his spear in
1: the air and declares victory. Roll credits. I like Hollywood, we await a check in the mail. That's a winner. I wonder if that's what Justin Marks has written for The Jungle Book too. It's likely. It's likely. I think so. Very likely. All right,
0: mate. I think it's time we uh, stick a fork in this one and call (laughs) it a night. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's very sensible.
0: (laughs) So, Gabe, where can listeners find more of your work and musings this week?
1: My Twitter feed is nothing but skinless tiger testicles. It's at Gabe Dowrick. That's an enticing treat for everyone.
0: I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash Ben Phelps. You can uh, find this podcast, Twin Movies, in all podcasts. And you can also find my other podcast, What Happens Next, curated within one mega podcast called The Ben Phelps Show in the usual places in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Thanks for listening, folks, and we hope you enjoy the show. Take care and stay tuned for another Twin Movies battle very soon. Thanks, Gabe. Nightmate. Thank you.